You hear me now? There we go. Good morning. It is good to be with you all and see you all today. Everything happens for a reason. Have you heard this phrase before? Maybe said it before yourself. Everything happens for a reason. It's a very popular phrase for Christians and non-Christians alike, though depending on who's saying it, it probably carries some different meaning. And it's understandable that this is a very popular phrase. We humans, we really like to understand why things happen. Usually, if we're honest with ourselves, it's a way of protecting ourselves, of securing our own well-being, of protecting ourselves and those we love from pain. So if you stick your hand in the fire, you get burned, and you quickly learn, I don't want to do that again, cause and effect. You get a good night's sleep, and then the next day you feel more productive, and you think, I should go to bed earlier, cause and effect. Negative effects from negative causes, positive effects from positive causes, and this is how much of the world works. And in most cases, it's really helpful to understand and follow these cause-effect relationships. But what happens when the cause-effect paradigm doesn't work? What happens especially when there is a negative effect with no apparent cause? What happens when you encounter terrible suffering that seems completely inexplicable? What happens when your healthy spouse, with no warning at all, dies of a heart attack? What happens when a freak accident leaves your friend paralyzed, or when your child is born with a physical disability? What happens even when your beloved parent or grandparent dies in old age? Even if you saw it coming, still death never seems fair. So what do we do? What do we do when we face such pain and suffering? Well, friends, this is a time when it's very appropriate to ask the question, what would Jesus do? And fortunately, in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, we have a story telling us exactly what Jesus does when he encounters a situation of inexplicable suffering. Now, before I read John 9, I want to point out that I'm going to read from a different translation than is in your pew Bibles. I'm going to read from the Revised Standard Version, which came before the New Revised Standard Version, if you can um, get get that. Um, So the NRSV is what you have in your pew Bibles. And I'm reading from the RSV for a very important reason, which I'm going to explain later. But for now, I just want to point that out, that if you're following along in the New Revised Standard Version or the New International Version, you're going to notice a big difference in verses 3 and 4. So pay attention to that if you're following along, because it does. It makes a huge difference. So with that in mind, I invite us to pray before we read. Lord, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of Christ our single concern. Amen. So hear now the word of the Lord from John chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from his birth. 
and his disciples, that is Jesus' disciples, asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night comes when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As he said this, he spat on the ground and made clay out of the spittle and anointed the man's eyes with the clay, saying to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Is this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like them. And he said, I am the man. They said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. This is the word of the Lord. So what does Jesus do when he encounters suffering that is humanly inexplicable? In this case, this man blind from birth. Well, first, Jesus doesn't place blame like the disciples were trying to do. In fact, he doesn't even try to provide a reason at all. He refuses to give pat answers. Rather, Jesus, he simply goes to work. And I really like the way that the message translation creatively puts this. It says, Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. Look instead for what God can do. Stop wasting your time looking for someone to blame. Instead, ask, what can God do from here? Given this situation, what can God do from here? And how might we be a part of that work? That, my friends, is what Jesus does and calls us to do in light of inexplicable pain and suffering. First, to stop looking for someone to blame And then to ask, what can God do from here? These two steps, if you see them on the screen there, are so short and they seem so simple, right? But they're actually a lot easier said than done. Perhaps you know that. Because they run so counter to the way that you and I naturally think. They run counter to the common, everything happens for a reason, paradigm. Rather, Jesus' ways, as always, they stretch us to a deeper faith, a deeper trust in God. So we're going to look at these two steps one at a time to try to show this deep faith that Jesus calls us to. So the first step is to stop looking for someone to blame. So when the disciples encounter the man born blind, their first response is to blame the very ones who were suffering. 
who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Which is like sticking a dagger into an already open wound. Let me tell you right out of the gates, this is a very bad way to address someone who is suffering. The disciples, they weren't meaning to be jerks. They really weren't. They weren't ill-intentioned. They weren't meaning to be jerks. They were just following the common worldview of their day, which was, in essence, everything happens for a reason. So if there is suffering, some negative effect, there must have been a negative cause, which in that day they assumed meant that someone had sinned. This person or his parents were at fault. That's just the way it was, they thought back then. But that worldview hasn't quite gone away, has it? Our own Kathy Nimmer has shared from this pulpit some very heart-wrenching stories of people who have done the same thing to her, to try to blame her for something that she did not cause any more than you and I caused ourselves to see. I just want to say publicly as a leader of Christ Church to Kathy, to anyone else who has experienced such a dagger and an already open wound, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for people who were probably well-intentioned, but that hurt you. Brothers and sisters, let's learn from John 9. Let's learn not to further wound those facing inexplicable suffering. Let us, like Jesus, be willing to speak up when we hear this erroneous placing of blame. Neither this man sinned, nor his or her parents. Let us learn from John 9 and care for one another. So now it's important to note that Jesus isn't saying that there aren't natural consequences to poor choices, that we should never look for a human cause, just accept everything as it comes. So if you eat Big Macs for every single meal and you suddenly develop a heart problem, it's really appropriate for somebody to tell you, hey, maybe you should consider your diet. You know, it's just that is a cause and effect relationship. Or maybe if there's a whole people group that's suffering, maybe it's because of some sort of discrimination, and we need to look at that cause and and ask God to lead us to a new way that is going to relieve such suffering. That's also another probable cause and effect relationship. Yet it's important to remember that in our world, not everything follows that paradigm. It doesn't always work, like in the situation of the man born blind. Therefore, we must be wise and prayerfully ask God for wisdom and discernment so that we might not do what the disciples and others have done, to erroneously place blame when there is no such cause and effect, to stick a dagger in an already open wound. The Spirit will guide us. Let us trust God to guide us in that. But now I'm going to be really honest with you. This is way harder done than said. So I'm going to share my example. I have been reading lately of the writings of a woman named Dr. Kate Bowler. Here's a, a picture of Kate with her beautiful family. So Kate is this healthy, very bright and talented professor at Duke Divinity School. She's married to her high school sweetheart. Has this sweet little toddler. 
everything's going well in the the eyes of the world. She has done everything right. And then at the age of 35, out of the blue, she's diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer, and she's dying. For no apparent reason, she's dying. To be honest with you, as I've been reading her stuff, my very first thought when I read her story was, what did she do to get colon cancer? Because I am close to Kate's age. I have a beloved spouse and a child I love, and I don't want to be in her shoes. So what did she do? What can I avoid to avoid her suffering? Have you ever thought that? Probably. It's how our human brains work. And sometimes the paradigm works, and sometimes it's really helpful, but not here. Because at this time, no one knows what has caused her cancer. Maybe in a few decades they will, and we will give praise to God. Perhaps someday, but right now, we don't know. Sometimes suffering just is. So what do we do then? What do we do if we can't find a human reason, a human to blame? Then there must be a divine reason, right? So we say things like, everything happens for a reason, or it's all part of God's plan. And this is what Kate has been writing about ferociously in the last year. She says that these sayings that have all been said to her, while intended to be comforting, can be really dangerous and hurtful. For in essence, what we might convey to someone who is suffering is, God is the one who caused this terrible thing to happen to you. A human isn't to blame, perhaps, but God is to blame for your suffering. But friends, God is not the author of evil. God can and does bring good from evil, but God is not the author of evil. It's important to remember that. Cancer and pain and death and grief of any sort, these are not part of God's plan. When God laid the foundations of the earth, he did not plan for these things. He did not desire for you and I to experience this. So Kate, in the months following her diagnosis, had so many people tell her, everything happens for a reason. She got so hurt and frustrated that she finally wrote a book about it. That book's called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. This, this book, it's really hit a chord with Americans. This past week on Amazon, it was number four in the top-selling books. Not just in the theology section, because she's a theologian. Not just in the suffering section, because she has cancer. But number four of all books across the entire country. Christian, secular alike. And I think it's selling so fast because even though everything happens for a reason is a really popular phrase, I think if we dig deep enough, we all discover at the core that there's something deeply unsatisfying about it. That's what I'm going to keep explaining if you're wondering. I don't, I don't know if I'm following this. We're, we're going to unpack this. 
So for us Christians, here's, here's why. Kate draws from her 13 years of intense study of the Bible, theology, and church history to show that the way that many things Christians were telling her to comfort her were and her suffering, they weren't comforting at all because there was something a little bit off that they weren't actually quite in line with what the Bible teaches. There was something that was just a little off. So to give you a clear example, for um, another Christian cliche she includes in this book is God needed an angel. Have you heard this? God needed an angel. Which people say to be comforting, usually in reference to the death of a child, to be honest, whenever I've heard this, I, I cringe. Because if you dig deeper, it sounds like sounds like God is cruel and capricious, taking our dear children to fulfill some kind of need he has in the heavenly realms. These, these kind of statements which we've heard, maybe have said, they could be well-intentioned, but they can be hurtful. Because they can do the exact opposite of what we intend. They turn people away from God rather than toward God. And it's because a statement like this, it makes it sound like God needs to make us suffer for God's purposes. And I don't know about you, but that kind of God doesn't sound very good or trustworthy to me. But friends, this is not how God works. Scripture tells us that God is not in need. God is sufficient in God's self. God doesn't need to inflict suffering on us in order to fulfill his glorifying purposes. It's kind of like if a doctor cut off a person's perfectly healthy arm just so that he could sew it back on and prove how good he was at surgery. I don't know about you, but... He might be a really good surgeon, but I'm not really going to trust him. Might actually be angry if he cuts off my arm, if it's healthy and there's no reason. Friends, that's how some people view God. That's how this book is becoming so popular among all people. So let's be, let's be clear about that, this analogy. A good doctor will cut off a person's arm as a last resort. If that person's arm is diseased and is going to infect the rest of the body and kill the person, we hope the doctor cuts it off. And friends, that's how God works in our lives sometimes. Sometimes he needs to wound us temporarily in order to save us. Sometimes he needs to inflict some pain to save us and those around us. But the purpose isn't so that God can show off. The purpose is his love for us and those around us. Do you see the difference? So that's why this morning I read to you John 9 from the RSV. Because some of the translations of verses 3 and 4, as many, many biblical scholars have pointed out, can be somewhat misleading, including the NRSV, the NIV, some other newer translations. So let me tell you why. And before you tune me out thinking she's just going into Greek mumbo-jumbo land, I really encourage you to pay attention. I know sometimes you think that Margie, or sorry, I called you Margie. Shirley, Shirley thinks that's funny. So this Greek, it's really important here. Um, it's a game changer even. So look how the NRSV has translated the Greek in verses 3 to 4. Jesus answered, 
neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Perhaps this is the version you're used to. But here's the issue. The NRSV has inserted an entirely new sentence and hasn't even told you they're doing it. He was born blind. What you see underlined and bolded there is not in the Greek text. It's an entire new sentence, subject and verb and adjective, completely inserted, not in the Greek text. It was added much later. Also, you should know that the original Greek manuscripts don't have punctuation. And as any good English teacher will tell you, punctuation really matters. So, I'm going to take out this extra sentence and the punctuation and just see what we have. Neither this man sinned nor his parents, but so that the works of God might be revealed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. That is pretty close word for word what the Greek says. Now let me read it with some different emphasis and some punctuation, couple commas that I've added. See how this might change your reading. Neither this man sinned nor his parents, but so that the works of God might be revealed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Neither this man sinned nor his parents, but so that the works of God might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Do you hear the difference? Anyone? Anyone? This was a game changer for me because that, that, I used to read from the NIV and that section always really bothered me. And this is what I have come to believe to be the best interpretation of the Greek. Not just me, but lots of sound biblical scholars who pointed this out to me. Theologically, this way of reading John 9 makes way more sense. It is much more congruent with the rest of Scripture. It doesn't make God out to be the cause of suffering that seems like it perhaps um, we can't explain why or perhaps may not have a purpose, but it moves beyond trying to give a reason and moves to Jesus' actions and what God can do through that suffering. So then we need, we need to ask, before we get to Jesus' action, let's, let's just ask, because we're all wondering, so what, what is the cause of this man's blindness? How does stuff like this happen? Well, we may not be able to pinpoint some exact cause. But we know it has something to do with the fact that we live in a broken world. Friends, you and I exist in a matrix of brokenness that stretches back farther and deeper than our minds can comprehend. God gave humans free will, and as a result, sin and all of its consequences entered a long, long, long time ago. The effects have rippled down through the canyons of time. They infect every corner of our lives. They cause corruption and decay to our bodies, to the natural world, our institutions, the very desires of our human hearts. No matter who you are, how hard you try, if you live in this world, you're going to experience some effects of that corruption. 
You're going to experience some pain and suffering that you would not have desired, no matter how hard you try. If you live in this world, no matter if you live the best life, you're going to die. That's the effect of living in a broken world. But let's get this straight. God is not to blame. Sin and suffering and death were never God's plan for us. God's plans for us are life and peace and joy and shalom for us and for all of creation. And here's where the news gets even better. John 9 reveals that anything that runs counter to God's plans for us, Jesus has power over that. Jesus has power over the sin and suffering and death of this world, for he has taken it all upon himself. And he has conquered it through his resurrection from the grave. Friends, this is the true comfort and hope we've been searching for in the face of suffering. Not that God causes our suffering, but that God has the power over it. That indeed, as Romans 8.28 tells us, because of Jesus, God works all things together for good including the darkness and suffering and pain of this world. God can work all things together for our good. God can take things which at first seem difficult and hard, like blindness or other suffering or pain, and bring tremendous good to us and to the rest of the world. Have we not been blessed by Kathy Nimmer? Yes. Yes, we have. <laughs> yes, we get some class. We have been so blessed. Perhaps it's maybe not the life that Kathy or her parents would have wanted, but boy, God has done and continues to do amazing works through it, and I give praise to God. I praise God for you, Kathy. There is suffering that enters our lives that you and I may never have wanted, and maybe God wouldn't have wanted for us either. But God can bring tremendous good to us and to the whole world around us through it. That is the power of God. It's not that God wants to suffer, but that God wants to bring life to us and those around us through it. Because God has power over all the brokenness and suffering in the world. And that is the true comfort and hope we've all been looking for. Not that God always causes suffering to happen, but that God has power over it. Friends, John 9 is a new creation story. It harkens back to the first creation story of Genesis. If you remember, God made life from dust, which Jesus uses here to heal his eyes. When God spoke over the waters and out of chaos came a beautiful creation, when there was darkness and it was shattered by light. This is what happened and continues to happen when Jesus Christ enters the scene. Jesus shines light into the black holes of our lives. He forms masterpieces out of the chaos of our world. He bring, breathes life into the dust of our dead bodies. This is the power of Jesus. And this is what brings us comfort and strength in the face of suffering and brokenness. That Jesus has power over it. That God can and will bring life 
and goodness from all the dust and chaos. Perhaps some parts of Christ's new creation we may not experience until Christ returns. Perhaps in this life you won't experience a cure to your cancer or other ailment. Maybe not an end to all poverty or injustice. Probably not going to experience the resurrection of the dead if Christ hasn't returned yet. But that doesn't mean those things aren't coming. For Christ is making all things new. One day when he returns, that new creation will be complete. Do you believe it? This is the deeper faith Jesus calls us to. And this is why we ask, what can God do from here? Because, friends, with Jesus Christ, the possibilities are endless. They are endless. And get this, Jesus invites us to participate in that divine work of bringing life and hope and healing for body, mind, and soul. Did you hear it? Jesus said, we must work the works of him who sent me. Friends, he's referring to you and me, to we followers of Christ, who like the man born blind, experience and then give witness to Jesus' power. His power to change lives, to breathe life, to bring order from chaos, to make beautiful things out of dust. Do you believe it? I could go on and on about the hope we have in Jesus' power. But now, our worship team is going to sing it to you. So I invite you to meditate on these words to thank Jesus for his power, to invite it into your life, to ask him how he might use you to be a vessel of that beautiful life-giving power. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>